Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that by your word and by your spirit you reveal yourself. And Father, we ask you to speak afresh your word to us now and by your spirit to enable us to receive it and respond and to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Ever since the beginning of time, God has had a plan for humanity. He knew what we would do with the free will he's given us, how we would choose to do things our own way rather than his, and thus cut ourselves off from his life and light and love. But God also knew how he was going to deal with that. He would prepare a race of people who would at least have some idea of how he wanted humanity to behave, He'd find a man who trusted him enough to do anything for him. And then he would give that man, Abraham, his descendants, his holy law. And over the generations, when they got things wrong, he would send his spokesmen, his prophets, to remind them how they ought to behave. And then, when the time was finally right, and there would be a proper context for it, he would send a final prophet to prepare the way for his own arrival on earth in the person of a human being like us, to live the perfect human life, and then to die in payment for our sins and break through death itself. And now, says Luke in verses 1 to 3 of his book, he writes to give an orderly account of how all these things have been fulfilled among us humans. And so he sets the scene for us by telling us about the birth of that final prophet, John the Baptist, itself a miracle of God's provision. And with an explanation from the angels announcing it, that this first baby is going by the power of God's Holy Spirit to bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God, as he goes ahead of him to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's chapter 1, verse 17. And once that preparation has begun satisfactorily, God ushers in the final phrase of his rescue plan, his own coming into the world in the person of his son. Now he does that by sending his angel Gabriel to Mary. And of course we know the story so well. But when we stop to analyze it, There are some very peculiar aspects to this story. Now, sometimes people explain Mary's reaction as being the natural terror of a young girl suddenly confronted by an angel. And it's true, as we heard last week, that people are often shown in Scripture as being scared stiff at the presence of one of these glorious beings. But we're not told that she is frightened of Gabriel's sudden appearance. It's what he says that troubles her. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, verse 29. And yet, all he has said at that point was the word kairete, which could be either just a common greeting, hi, or have the more specific meaning, rejoice. And then, well, suppose somebody came up to you out of the blue while you were making yourself a cup of coffee or something and said, this being England, Uh, excuse me, Uh, I do hope you don't mind my saying so, Uh, but you've been given special grace by God. 
the Lord is with you. Now, how would you react? Would you spill your coffee? Would you say something along the lines of, oh, oh, thank you very much, how frightfully kind of you. (laughs) Or would you be greatly troubled at his words and wonder what kind of greeting this might be? And what's so bad about being told that God has given you special grace? What is it that Mary picks up in this salutation that upsets her? Now, it might just be that, like an awful lot of women for various reasons in our culture today, she suffers from a spirit of insignificance to such an extent that she can't believe anything good of herself and is worried that he must have got the wrong girl. But her subsequent reactions wouldn't seem to suggest that that's the case. So the only realistic explanation is that Mary considers it extraordinarily improbable that anyone would describe her as carrying any particular grace from God, or that the Lord's presence should be with her more than with anybody else. And that tells us something very important about her. She is genuinely, truly humble. It has simply never occurred to her to think of herself as special. And isn't that, in fact, quite unusual among human beings? I mean, wouldn't many of us be inclined, if we're honest, rather to preen ourselves on being complimented, especially by an angel? Oh, oh, good. Oh, somebody's recognized my true worth at last. But Mary is not self-regarding. There's a beautiful interplay between the grace of God and the simplicity of the human response. The word translated favor in verses 28 and 30 is charis, grace, God's undeserved favor. Rejoice, you who have been highly graced, says the angel. Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found grace from God. It's not so much because Mary was a wonderful human being that God comes to her in the first place. But it is because she is a wonderful human being that she responds to God's initiative as she does. You see the difference? It's not because she's wonderful that God says, I will come to her. But he comes to her, and because she is a wonderful human being, she responds. It's all down to grace, the free generosity of God. But the free generosity of God in the heavenly realms often looks like a decidedly mixed blessing down here on earth. Because having just told her that she should rejoice and not be afraid, the angel then gives her something about which she has every reason to be very afraid indeed. Because apparently God's grace plan for her is unmarried motherhood in a culture where you could be stoned to death for such a thing. And where the least that would happen would be the overthrow of all your life plans for your own future. What's Joseph going to think? How's he going to react? He's going to be minded to put me away privily, and that's if I'm lucky. But do you notice another very odd thing about this encounter? Suppose a girl engaged to be married was suddenly accosted by a stranger who told her that they had had a prophetic insight that she was going to have a baby boy who would be amazingly brilliant and important and acclaimed. A girl engaged to be married is told she is going to have a baby boy who's going to be brilliant. Wouldn't she assume that he was talking about a child she would conceive once she was married? 
Here's the angel promising a wonderful future for a child that this young fiancé is going to have. Power, royalty, authority, eternity, an incredible array of majesty. But instead of interpreting that as any normal girl in her situation would, as a stunning prediction of what will happen once a baby is born in the usual manner after her marriage, Mary jumps straight to the most improbable and frightening scenario and just asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? There's no immediate indication that the angel Gabriel is talking about a virgin birth until Mary herself raises the question. Why does she immediately assume that this news about her conception and childbirth doesn't apply to her having a baby in the natural course of events once she's been married to Joseph? And that's why it's pretty evident that although she is remarkably humble, she doesn't suffer from insignificance. When these amazing promises are made, she doesn't shy away from them at all or ask whether the angel of shows come to the right house. It's just a simple, practical question. Oh, all right. How? She isn't remotely thrown either by the scale of the promise or by the seeming impossibility of its fulfillment in the way she has understood it to be meant to occur. Now, this is a faith response to the promises of God. It's not reinterpreting them. It's not scaling them down to make them a bit more realistic and manageable, but a simple acceptance of them at more than face value. See, when I think God is saying something to me, especially something that seems a bit surprising, my mind immediately goes into sort of working it out, well, yeah, perhaps he doesn't mean that. Perhaps it probably fits into, well, I mean, it can't possibly mean that. So, so it must, must be, yeah, well, I, yeah, perhaps that's, if that's perhaps a bit much, well, perhaps we'll just sort of put it down. And I, I scale it down. If you ever are in a position where they, um, you're asked to pray about how much you should give to some big appeal, and the first figure that comes into your mind, you think, uh, no, that can't be God. No, no, um, well, that, yeah, well, um, actually, yeah, no, I've got that. Well, but, <laughs> And it comes down, because we second-guess God, we reason it through. Has it ever occurred to you to wonder why, when Zechariah asked the angel about how the promise to him about the birth of John the Baptist was going to be fulfilled, he got into trouble, whereas Mary, when she asked how, didn't get into trouble. And the difference lies in the fact that Zechariah, the old priest, asked, how shall I know that this is so? so that the angel gives him a sign, the sign of dumbness. You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Chapter 1, verse 20. But Mary's question is nothing to do with doubt. She accepts entirely what the angel has said, indeed, even more than he said. Her reaction isn't, how shall I know? But, how's it going to happen? An entirely practical response. How, how's this going to work, seeing I haven't had sex? And the answer is that God himself is going to be the Father. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> Have you ever listened to John Taverner? Um, the uh, music for the incarnation as the Holy Spirit comes upon the Virgin Mary. You get these, it's absolutely electrifying. And the mystery and the wonder. And yet, that is the incarnation that's the Spirit of God coming down from heaven 
into such a practical reaction. Oh, yes, all right. Yeah, well, I'm the Lord's servant. Yeah, that's fine. And heaven meets earth in that coming together, that juxtaposition, the wonder of heaven and the nitty-gritty earthiness of Mary. And whereas Zechariah was asking for some sort of sign to prove that what the angel had said was reliable and got a deal more than he bargained for, Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but is given one, the sign of her relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, in spite of her periods having long since ceased. And all to prove that nothing is impossible with God, verse 37. God can speak life into being just as he chooses. And how does this young girl respond? Oh, all right then, whatever God wants, I'm just here to do whatever he says. Now, isn't that the most extraordinary reaction? Complete, unquestioning surrender to the will of God. How often have you or I found things not going according to our plan and railed at God for letting us down? One moment's inconvenience, one moment's embarrassment, one little hint of unpleasantness, and I'm bitching away at God in my journal. This isn't fair, you're not meant to behave like this. You've let me down, you know I really wanted whatever it was. You're supposed to be on my side, look what's happened. You have all the power in the universe and can do anything you please, and you haven't helped me in this matter I really asked for, so how can you say you love me? Or am I the only one who moans at God like for not running the universe according to my specification? We need to look at this simple little peasant girl in a remote village in Israel. Instead of thinking about how special she is, she just gets on with life in sweet simplicity. And when God makes big promises about her future, she doesn't balk at them and think they can't possibly be true. And when it turns out that they look as though they could mess up her plans for her life and very possibly ruin it in human terms, she doesn't flinch for one moment. Why? Because she has got her faith entirely worked out. I am the Lord's slave girl. I am the Lord's slave girl. Whatever he wants, it's fine by me. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I was looking forward to getting married. I was looking forward to a normal life. But, but my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I trust him to do what's right, whatever that is, and however unlikely it seems to human thinking. Never mind whether I understand it or not, let it be to me according to your word. I don't deserve to be allowed to serve him, but whatever happens to me, to be involved in the outworking of his purposes is a wonderful privilege from God. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, but from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. <laughs> great? When you might be divorced and shamed and stoned, what are you thinking of, Mary? Yes, great. Holy is his name. It's God's grace that drives forward his plan of salvation. And he chooses you, whoever you are, every single one of us, to play a part in it. And sometimes that may involve difficulties, it may involve rejection, it may involve human danger in this world, even outright pain and suffering. 
But whatever happens to you, it isn't a mistake. The end result, if we will only respond rightly, is always glory and majesty, if you will only embrace it. He just wants you to accept his will in simple faith and trust and obedience, however great his ask of you. He is sovereign. Nothing can stand against him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. But he's lifted up the humble. He sent the rich away empty. The only response to him must be one of embracing his perfect will because his purposes are always good. However they may seem, he has filled the hungry with good things. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised, as he said to our fathers. And you and I, in our situations, day by day, we can choose to kick against the pricks. Or we can bow in humble fear and adoration. We can say, yes, Lord. Your will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So this Christmas, as you prepare for it, all the business and the rush and all the activity and everything else, as you prepare your heart spiritually, and as you look ahead to 2017, will you respond with Mary? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer of effectively recommitment. Then say amen to it unless you mean it. Lord, whatever the cost, whatever the uncertainties, I choose to trust you to surrender my will to yours. Lord, be born in me today and every day in every circumstance in which I find myself. Amen.